From the uh, things aren't always as they may appear category comes the following true story. Told by a friend recently, and so that I don't mess it up, I'm going to go ahead and just read it in the first person. He says, several years ago I returned from a trip, uh, from a trip just when a storm hit with crashing thunder and severe lightning. He says, I came into my bedroom about 2 a.m. and I found my children in bed with my wife, Carrie, apparently scared by the loud storm. I resigned myself to sleeping in the guest room rather than wake them and move them to their own bedrooms. The next morning I told him it was okay to sleep with mom uh, when the storm was bad, but when I was expected home, please don't sleep with her that night. They said, okay. Now after my next trip, several weeks later, Carrie and the children picked me up at the terminal at the appointed time. Since the plane was late, everyone had to come inside and wait for my plane's arrival, along with hundreds of other people who were waiting for their passengers to arrive. He says, as I entered, he says, I entered the waiting area, my son saw me, came running and shouting, Hi, Dad, I've got great news for you. As I waved back, I said loudly, What's the good news? And Alex shouted with a big smile on his face, Nobody slept with Mommy while you were away this time. Yep, uh, you know, not only are things not always as they may appear, but things taken out of context can drastically alter the meaning. And uh, that's why it's so important uh, to study the Bible in context and why book studies are so meaningful and critical to help us fully understand the entire counsel of God. If you've got your Bible with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we continue to learn how to be dynamic in our Christian walk. In Acts chapter 4, we pick up an account that we began to look at a couple of weeks ago. And we read these words, starting with verse 23. We read, And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou who, who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Thy servant, did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against Thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. It says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. In this section of the Bible, we learn some of the important truth with regard to prayer and what can happen when God's people pray. So it's been in order to better appreciate the passage, it's important that we revisit the context in which it is written. If you remember in our last study in Acts, we saw that there were some hostile attempts to stop the preaching and the teaching of Jesus as God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior, the only way that man can be forgiven by God. In fact, if you look back, starting with verse 15, we're told, but they had ordered them outside, speaking of John and, and, uh, and uh, Peter, and it says that when they went and ordered them outside the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them? 
and it's apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny that. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name, speaking of the name of Jesus. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. In other words, they were told to stop proclaiming the word of God. The religious leaders not wanting to... uh, you know, to lose their position and standing in the community were more, important, were more concerned about that than they were about ascertaining the truth or being open and teachable. And a lot of times we've got to watch and we, we've got to, to realize the danger that comes with sin nature. Some people would call it human nature, but God calls it sin nature, a nature that's not open and teachable and isn't open to the things of God. And we make up our mind, we kind of we uh, hunker down in a certain position, and we hang on to that position even when the evidence all around us indicates that the position that we hold is wrong. And we talked about that several weeks ago on being sincere, but we can be sincere and wrong at the same time. And we've got to be open to God's leading in our life. If what we believe turns out it isn't accurate, it's not true, we have to be willing to surrender that and accept that which is truth. What happens here is that the religious leaders, though presented with the facts and the truth about Jesus, had, uh, had a certain agenda and they had a certain mission. And the mission was to protect their position in society more than it was to honor God and accept God's truth. Therefore, they threatened them They threatened them physically with violence, physical punishment. They threatened them with imprisonment. And they even accused or were were threatening to accuse them before the Roman government, saying, if you keep doing what you're doing, we'll go to the Roman authorities and, and, and tell them that you're trying to start a riot. And so one way or the other, we're going to shut you up. And in this passage, uh, we're going to see what happens when God's people prayed as a direct correlation to that type of hostility and what can happen today when believers pray. So as we look at this, there's going to be four things that we're going to identify in this passage, four things that are an example to us that will help us when we go through times similar to the times that were experienced by Peter and John. And first thing that stands out in my mind as we go through this is the reason for their prayer. The reason for their prayer is, is, is noted in verses 23 and 24. It says, And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so they immediately went back to their, their, their companions and said, This is what just took place in our life. And by reviewing the context, we realize that it's apparent that this prayer was born out of adversity. What motivated them to pray? What motivated these new Christians, these young believers, to immediately pray? And we see very clearly it was the threats and the attempts to stop the preaching and the proclaiming of God's Word. The opposition that they experienced gave them a reason to pray. As soon as they heard what had happened, these believers knew exactly what to do. Notice that. And when they had heard this report they lifted their voices to God. Immediately, there was no, what should we do? What should our strategy be? What do you think we should do? What's going on? Immediately, they lifted their voices to God. They knew what to do. They prayed. It's truly one of the remarkable and great prayers that's recorded in the Bible, and it is there as an example for us to follow. You know, they knew Jesus. They knew that He was alive. 
They had seen him by many convincing proofs after his resurrection. They knew that he was alive. They knew that he was a risen and an alive Savior. And we know that as well today. They knew him as a personal God, one that they walked with and they ate with and they talked to, one that as he shared certain requests with them, they resp he responded to them. He heard them. He was open to them. He was available to them. And you know, the Bible tells us that those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ... Hang on a second. You didn't get your check again this week, did you? But anyway, they, they knew him as a personal God. And so they were confident that they could go to him. That was just an excuse to take off my coat. <laughs> Linda made me wear it today anyway, so... I didn't know if it was sitting out to wear or give away to Care and Concern Day. So, I, so anyway, uh, but, you know, when you stop and think about it, has there ever been, on a serious note, has there ever been a, a need for prayer like there is today? Stop and think about it. Everywhere we turn, we see opposition to the gospel and litigation that is opposed to the preaching and the teaching of God's truth. We live in a culture that promotes evolution instead of creation. We live in a culture that, that, that promotes abortion and sexual sin and moral relativism and everything but moral absolute truth. Has there ever been a time like today when we need to pray because of the opposition that is in the world to the teaching and, and preaching and proclaiming of God's truth and Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. We need to be constantly, continually fervent in prayer for Christians to be bold around the world and for the Word of God to spread rapidly. Let me give you a couple examples from Scripture found, for example, in Colossians chapter 4. Turn with me. God eats peaches and cream. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians 4, starting with verse 2, we read these words. <clears throat> we read, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I've also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Notice that sense of urgency. God, open the door so that we can proclaim your truth to a lost world. Give us opportunities to be able to speak and tell of the, of the truth of God. We were having lunch yesterday with, with a friend of ours, and she said that you know it's difficult sometimes to know how to tell people about God's love for them, and yet at the same time warn them of God's judgment and the reality of sin and the condition that God call, says that all mankind is in, that we're all sinners, we're all condemned by God, we're all waiting or on the way to final judgment unless something radically, uh, radical takes place in our life, that there's a transformation that occurs. She says that it's hard to find those opportunities that, how, how, you know, what do you look for in opportunities to be able to share with others? And she said that a friend of hers, they were gathered together for lunch and, and she, the gal picked up the tab and she said, you know, I was so impressed because all the gals at the table said, oh, we want to thank you. Thank you for buying us lunch. And the gal who's a believer said, oh, you know what? Don't thank me, but thank God because he has blessed us to be able to do this. 
And so all of anything that we can do and any way that we can bless others is only because we've been blessed by God. And even that little nippet, so to speak, that little conversation, just that little bit of planting a seed that says, hey, it's not about us, it's about God, lays a foundation that plants a seed that later we can revisit and continue to work on. There's always ways and always opportunities, but the Bible is very clear that we need to pray for those opportunities in light of opposition. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, a few books ahead, and see in chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. We read, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you. From the evil one. Notice that. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. If there's any any motivation that we should have, it's the fact that we realize what God says is true. That as His word goes out, He promises that it won't come back void or empty, but it always accomplishes the purposes for which He sends it forth. We can be confident, those of us who have received God's grace that the same Word of God that penetrated our stubborn and, and, and at times rebellious hearts to God, that same Word will penetrate the heart of those that God brings into our life. Whether it's someone that we work with, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Sometimes we limit God thinking that, how, you know, God can't even reach this person. And how quickly we forget how, how rebellious we were and how cold and hard our hearts were when God first brought people into our life to tell us about the plan of God, and that's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So many of us, when we heard the gospel for the first time, didn't go, wow, that's great news. Man, that's what I've been waiting to hear. I know personally that I didn't want to hear it. And it was a long time that people continued to come into my life and to share with me, and I would tell them to shut up, or I didn't want to hear it, or I'd ignore them, or when I'd see them coming, I'd run the other way. But you know what? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He hunts us down. And he hunts us down by using us, those who have received his forgiveness, as a vehicle or a messenger for the same forgiveness that others can receive. God says we need to have a sense of urgency because of the opposition to pray that God's word would go out and that it would spread rapidly, that he would open huge doors of opportunity for any one of us who want to be obedient to his calling and share with others what Christ has done in our life. As I was thinking about this, I want to share an, an observation, take it for what, it worth, what it's uh, worth, but I see little sense of urgency and danger today for most believers, and the reason's simple. Too few are putting our necks out, or our necks on the line for Jesus. So you can't experience opposition, you can't experience hostility, you can't experience hatred or persecution for his name's sake, if you're not telling anybody about Jesus. That's the simple message of the gospel. There's no sense of urgency by most Christians because most of us don't recognize the kind of spiritual warfare and battle that's out there and the kind of opposition that's there. You know, this prayer was born out of adversity as Peter and John reported uh, from the battle lines what was taking place in the war. 
they came back. They were out on the front lines and came back and said, hey, and that's what you were talking about, the verse of encouraging one another, you know, to, to gather together, assemble together, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as a habit of, uh, of some, but encouraging one another, to stimulate one another, to build each other up, to say, hey, you know what, when we go out there and we face opposition, we come back to a small group of believers, a small group of friends. Maybe it's your prayer group. Maybe it's a men's group. Maybe it's a women's group. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's collectively the body of Christ. And we come back for the purpose of being encouraged and stimulated to keep on keeping on, to be steadfast and immovable because the message that we have to share with the world is the only message of salvation. There is no other way. There is no other hope. There's no other way for man to reach heaven but through Jesus Christ our Lord it is God's plan he is it there is no other way and when we face opposition we should realize that the opposition will be there because the opposition doesn't want the world to hear about the goodness of Jesus Christ sadly some of us don't even know there's a spiritual battle taking place and that every you know that, that God wants every person to hear and I think we forget at times that it's not an option. We have been called from darkness into light so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. We're not saved to be silent. We're saved to shout. The resurrection message is still true today. When the disciples came to the, to the tomb, they said, come and see that the tomb is empty. Now go and tell the world that He's risen. Come and see and go and tell when you've experienced or tasted the mercy of God and Jesus Christ has changed your life. You have a responsibility to now turn around and go tell the world what Jesus has done for you. It's not an option. So many of us think that we're in like the secret service for Christ. You know, we, we walk around like, you know, we're like we're, you know, like we're secret agents for Jesus. And the only way we know that there's others out there is because they go, are you a Christian? Oh, really? I'm a Christian? Let's not tell anybody. You know, and we smile that, oh man, this is great. And we come home all excited. I met a Christian at work today. How? Well, it was an accident. <laughs> they go, what? It was an accident? What, what, what do you mean it was an accident? You know, and that's what we think. But Jesus said, hey, go into the world and tell. Make disciples. Teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses, and you shall receive power, and you don't have an option, but you need to get out there and let people know about the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. If more of God's people were witnessing for Christ in daily life, there would be more urgency and blessing when God's people meet to pray. It's important to note that they were of one accord. Going back to Acts chapter 4, notice that. I like this because, you know what? Hey, there are a lot of things that as Christians we can agree to disagree and there's a whole bunch of them. Man, I mean, all you got to do is, is, you know, talk about, hey, you know what, some of you hate my jokes, some of you love my jokes, some of you don't even know they're jokes. Um, <laughs> you know, some of you like certain type of music, some of you like other kind of music, some of you like horses, some of you like hymns. Some of you like me to wear a tie, some of you like to take off my coat, some of you I made happy today, some of you are really upset. You know, that's just the way it is. And we can all agree to disagree and all that stuff. But let me tell you something where there's no room for disagreement. And that is, is that we are to be committed to the preaching and the teaching and the proclaiming of the, world of the Word of God in a world that is hostile and opposed to God and the things of God. We must all agree 
that we have a responsibility to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, there are people who are lost and don't even know they're lost. Some of you may be here today. Some of you may be listening to this. Because the reality of it is, in the world that we live in, that message isn't told to very many people. We're all told, I'm okay, you're okay. We're all told if you're just, you know, better than other people that you're okay. We're all told that every road leads to heaven. We're all told if you believe in God, there is a God. If you don't believe in God, there is no God. If you believe in heaven, there is a heaven. If you don't believe in hell, there is no hell. That's the kind of message that we hear all around us. And the reality of it is, is that we know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set people free. And we need to be committed to proclaiming and the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can disagree on a whole bunch of other stuff, but we can't disagree there. Number two, we're going to note the recognition of God's power. As God's people came together to pray, one of the things that just jumps out at me is they recognized the power of God. Notice that in the first part of verse 24, Acts chapter 4. It says, and when they heard this, speaking of the, the word of opposition and the threats that was there and to tell them to stop telling people about Jesus, when they heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and they said, O Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. An important truth concerning prayers found in this passage. Many today think that God is obligated to answer prayer simply because we've been in a particular place or we've taken time to pray. Nothing could be further than the truth. It is not our efforts to pray that produces results. The secret to God's power is God Himself. The secret to God's power is God Himself. See, when we look at this, they began their prayer by saying, Oh Lord, the, word, the Greek word gives our English word despot, which means absolute power, absolute authority, absolute ruler. God has complete and absolute sovereign control. God is absolutely in control. Simeon used this title when he prayed in the temple in Luke 2.29 as he held God's Savior in his arms. And he had been promised by God that he wouldn't die until the day that he had saw the, the Messiah, Messiah come into the world. And as he held the child in his arms and as he looked upon the Savior of the world, he recognized that God was a God of complete and absolute sovereignty. That whatever God's plans are will come to fruition exactly as God said that they would. And exactly as God said, you will not die until you look upon my chosen one. God fulfilled his word as he always does. He was in absolute control of all things. Not only did they recognize him as sovereign Lord, but notice they also recognized him as what? The creator of all things. I want you to stop and think about something for a moment in the context in which we're learning it. When you experience opposition and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around you, Never forget this truth. Our God is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The simple application is this. If that is true, and it is, and if God, your Father, is the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, then what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? Notice back in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus used this to help illustrate a similar truth. In Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 25 through 30. Think about it. 
if God is in control of all things, what do we have to fear when it comes to sharing the gospel with those He brings in our life? I don't know if you've noticed, but as we've been going through the book of Acts, everything God does, He does for the purpose of drawing an audience so that the audience can then hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the plan of God for man. There was never a time where Peter or John didn't take advantage of the crowds or multitudes that were brought to them, whether it was a miracle of the, the raising of the lame man who had never walked uh, from birth or whether it was the, the, the noise that was generated by the Holy Spirit descending upon the upper room in which they met. Anytime multitudes of people were drawn by God, they knew it as an opportunity to what? Share the, share the gospel with them. Think about this for a second. Practical application. Anything that happens in our life is to be used as an excuse to tell others about Jesus. That's all that it is. You lose your job and people come to comfort you, you tell them about Jesus. Why? Because He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Nothing happens in our life that God doesn't know about and allow for His purposes. You're having marital problems. People come to you, hey, you know what? It's an excuse to tell them about Jesus. You're having an anniversary. Wow, it's your 30th anniversary. You know what? Excuse to tell people about Jesus. You have business success, excuse to tell people about Jesus. Everything that happens. Your child is sick, excuse to tell people about Jesus. See, no matter what goes on, it becomes our opportunity to tell people that God brings into our life about Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world. You know what happens to many of us, though? We lose sight of that. We go to the woe-me pity party. Oh, you lost your job. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you all feel sorry. You know, we all feel sorry for ourselves. You know, you're sick, feel sorry for yourself. Something happens, feel sorry for yourself. You know, we're always feeling sorry for ourselves. But the point is, we, we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves because what? God's in control of everything. And the only reason it's happened to you is because God allowed it to happen. And the reason He allowed it to happen is because He's always trying to teach us about who He is and what He can do. Stop limiting God. He's a creator of heaven and earth. You see that McDonald's commercial? I just saw it last night. These two kids laying in a field eating french fries and, and the kids going, you know, 280,988,006. They're just pointing. He's counting stars. And his buddy's laying next to him goes, you already counted that one. <laughs> and then the commercial goes, one, two, three... And I like that. It's like, man, you know, look up. Notice this in Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden by sin, and open the invitation to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, open invitation to anybody, whoever comes to me, notice that, I will give you rest. 
He says, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The whole idea is that they would have two oxen or, or, or two animals that would be side by side and they would have a yoke on one and a yoke on the other. And the purpose was that the older one or the more experienced one would be yoked to one who was, was just learning how to plow a field. And the more experienced one knew what to do and he kept his head straight and he would just plow on and he would move forward. And the young one where he would want to start looking around and get sidetracked and deterred from what he was supposed to do would then learn from the one who was more mature and more experienced what to do and he would keep his head straight and he would move on. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, you know what? Just saddle up next to me and follow me and walk with me and I will teach you. And if you're open and teachable, I will teach you the things of God, how God wants you to live, the things that He wants you to do And you know what? And that yoke is easy compared with the Pharisees and the Sadducees were teaching about how to please God. He's saying this is a lot easier. This isn't a long list of do's and don'ts that maybe if you, you you check off a hundred of them, you know, you might get to heaven. You might please God. Jesus said, no, my yoke is easy. You put your faith and trust in me and in me alone and you'll find forgiveness for your sin. And then as we walk together, it's a lot easier to follow me than it is to try to follow a long list of rules and regulations set by men because they don't work, folks. They don't work. God is in sovereign control of all things. Matthew chapter 6, look at that. He says, don't be, don't, don't be worried. Don't be worried about anything else. Don't be worried about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Don't be worrying about anything in Matthew 6, starting with verse 25. Notice what he says. Why are you anxious in verse 28 about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. Notice that he said, look up at the birds of the sky. As we face opposition, so many times we have a tendency to look at the opposition in our life rather than to look up at the sovereign God who's in heaven in control of all things. He says, you know what, you're worried about stuff. Look up, man, look up at the birds, how God takes care of them. How much more are we worth than they? That's the point that he's trying to make when we face opposition. Question for you, application. Do you struggle with fear? Do you struggle with having a timid spirit? Is it hard for you to share your faith with others? Does opposition and hostility silence your voice? The Word of God says, Remember this day, your Creator. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Nehemiah and Daniel, Isaiah, Peter, all yielded themselves to a faithful Creator. When they got discouraged by looking at the opposition, they looked back up into heaven and went, Man, you know what? Who am I to fear when I've got a God who holds the stars in the universe and the planets in their orbit, takes care of feeding humanity on a daily basis? What am I afraid of? I'm going to just be honest with you. When I'm afraid, when I experience fear, it's because I have forgotten the awesome power and sovereign control of God. When I'm afraid, it's because I've forgotten the awesome power and the sovereign control of God. See, when God's people pray, we must remember that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond we can ever ask or think. We're told that we haven't been given a spirit of timidity, but one of power. Jesus said that you will be my witnesses after you receive power of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit and the power and His presence in our life, we, 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 we don't have what it takes to be able to share with others. But see, where God leads, He always provides. See, Jesus never asks any of us to do anything that He hasn't already given us the ability and the power to do. 
Third thing that we look at is the realization of God's plan. The realization of God's plan. You know, the Bible teaches as we look at verses 25 through 28. Notice that with me back in the book of Acts chapter 4 again. See, the Bible teaches that we must pray pray according to the plan and the will of God. And these believers realized that because, notice, their prayer was based solidly on the Word of God. In this case, Psalm chapter 2 says, notice what he said, who by the Holy Spirit, verse 25, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you did say, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth stood their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in the city they were were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. As we look at this, very important application as 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 it comes to prayer. The Word of God and prayer must always go together. The Word of God and prayer must always go hand in hand. For example, in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said this, If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Listen carefully. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. The simple truth is this. If you abide in me... Meaning this, the promise that he's about to make has to do with believers only. If you abide in me, if you've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've recognized what God says, that you're guilty of sin, you've repented of your sin, you've turned from sin, you've turned to God, you sought his forgiveness, you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, believing he died for you and rose again from the dead. The Bible says if you have trusted in him, that you have become a child of God to those who believe in his name that you now abide in Him. Now, just being a Christian is not enough because he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, meaning you know the word and the will of God and you pray according to the word of God and the will of God, then he says, you can ask whatever you want and it shall be given to you. How simple is that? Application. Stop wasting your time praying for that which is against the will of God. If God reveals it clearly in His Word, stop praying that He'll change it. Because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and His Word will never change. If it is revealed in God's Word, stop praying that God will change it for you because he will not. See, in God's word, he speaks to us. He reveals his truth and his will and what he wants to do. Speak to him and make ourselves available to accomplish his will. Point. Talk less and listen more. Talk less and listen more. Because the more that we understand the will of God, the more that we understand the word of God, the less likely it will be that we pray in opposition to his word. So, it's kind of of ironic to be talking about prayer by telling you pray less 
and read God's word more, but that's the basis where our prayer life begins. Pray less, and what I mean by that is pray less ignorant prayers and pray more knowledgeable prayers based upon the word of God. Question for you. You ever thought, why pray at all? I mean, think about it. Why pray at all? If God's in total control of everything, and if his will's going to come to pass no matter what, his plans will come fruition no matter what we do, and if it's not based on our prayer, but it's based on God's authority and his power, and his power alone, then why pray at all? You ever struggle with that? It's going to happen, so why pray about it? Here's why. True prayer is not telling God what to do but it's asking God to do his will in and through us. It means getting God's will done here on earth just as it is in heaven. It means God's will coming to fruition here on earth, not man's will being done in heaven. You follow that? Why pray? I pray to find out what God's will is and what he wants me to do and how he wants to use me and work through me. I don't pray to tell God what I want him to do in my life. Huge difference. The reason so many people get frustrated praying is what? I've been telling God what to do, and he's just not doing it. Now, no one would ever say that. We would say things like, well, I've been asking of the Lord. Well, you know, so I've, I've thus asked of the Lord, you know. <laughs> And it's like, what? what do you mean? It's like, well, I ask, and there's nothing wrong with asking God. I'll give you an example. The apostle Paul had a thorn in his side, some type of affliction that God allowed to happen in his life so that he would be humble. He would be a humble vessel of God. Paul asked him three times. There's nothing wrong with Paul asking him to remove this from him, but at the same time, God said, no. I'm going to leave it in your life so that through that, that infirmity that you have, you will remain humble, and through your weakness, my strength will be perfected. And he accepted that as the will of God. He wasn't sure what it was at first. At first he prayed, God, take this from me. Even Jesus in the garden said, Father, if it's your will, take this or remove this cup from me. But you know what? Not my will be done, but yours. The reason that we pray is to find out what God wants to do in our life. See, here's why. He already knows, and we don't. Follow that? That's good stuff. That's worth price of admission, huh? First, you don't pay anything to get in. You get free coffee and donuts, and you sit there like I'm torturing you. <laughs> but it, that's why we pray. We want to find out God's will. God, what is it you want to do? Where, where is it you want to send me? What is it that you've equipped me to do? Because like, like was, was shared this morning, where God leads, he provides. He never calls us to do something that he hasn't already equipped us to do. The only thing that keeps us from doing it is just our obedience or lack of it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? See, the truths that are illustrated here had to do with prophecy and fulfillment. Psalm chapter 2, notice this. They pray to God using the word of God. That's beautiful. Every one of us should learn to pray to God using the word of God. God, open the door for me to share with my family. 
Open the door for me to share with my coworkers. Open the door for me to share with my boss, to share with my employees, to share with my friends, to share with my teammates, to share with those that you've brought into my... Open the door that the Word of God may go forth and spread rapidly, just as it took place in my life, may it take place in their life. And I pray that according to Acts chapter 4 that we're just reading and studying right now. Colossians chapter 4, you know, First Thess- Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Hey, you know what? I, I, if I know the Word, I can pray intelligently. That's why it's so dangerous to live in a culture that has begun to put the Word of God on the bottom shelf, tucked away, because there's so many other, you know, you know methods that are out there now to reach people. Hey, There's no other chosen method but the Word of God. That's what God has given us. That's what He's ordained to use. He says it goes out and doesn't come back empty to accomplish His purposes. There is no other method to reach lost people for the kingdom of God than the Word of God, the Sword of God, the Spirit of God, the the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Word of God. Psalm chapter 2 describes the revolt. Notice what it is. Describes the revolt of the nations against the Lord and His Christ. The psalm originally grew out of the crowning of a new king in Israel. Perhaps, David, as we read that in Psalm 2, but its ultimate message points to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Read Revelation chapter 20 at the end of the millennial period. All the kings of the earth will gather against God and His Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the futility of all of that? Can you imagine the God of heaven and earth? He just laughs when mankind comes against God and tries to stop the things of God. Can you imagine the opposition we've got in our world today that says, you know what, you're not going to teach the Word of God any longer. You're not going to tell people about Jesus any longer. If you do, we'll sue you. We're going to do everything that we can to stop you. And God sits on His throne in heaven and He laughs at the foolishness of men who think they can stop the plan of God. And notice this fruition that took place here. Basically what they were saying was this. The fulfillment was found in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 they said, Hey, you know what? Lord, the, uh, the people that gathered against your servant Jesus in verse 27, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, they all gathered against your servant Jesus. But I want you to notice something here. All of humanity was recognized in that group. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews all sent Jesus Christ to the cross. But there was nothing to fear. We're held accountable. But there was nothing to fear because it was according to the predetermined plan of God. Everything was right on target as far as God was concerned. But they looked at it as being, wow, things went upside down. But you know what? When we read your word, we have clarity again. And we realize that, you know what? That's exactly what you said would happen. The world would oppose your servant Jesus. The world would take him and crucify him. That it would be hung on a cross, but three days later you would rise, you would you would raise him up again. Everything is right on schedule, folks. So the point is this when we're met with opposition, guess what? That's right on schedule. The question is, what are we supposed to do about it? And that's what we'll close this message and put it all together with this. Notice their request. Their request is found in verse 29 and 30. Now here's what they ask them. They ask the Lord, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak the word with all confidence. You notice that? What did they ask God to do? Take note of their threats and then give us the courage to preach your word with confidence. I like that. They ask for enablement and not escape. Enablement, not escape, and power not protection. 
How many of you, be honest, when you go through difficult times in life, when those trials come up and you're met with opposition for the things of God, how many times do you ask God to remove the opposition instead of giving you the power and the strength to meet it head on? They didn't ask to remove their enemies. Why? Because you know what? They knew that their enemies were always going to be in existence. The enemies of God will be in existence until the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ. Even after the millennium period of time when the kingdom of God is established here on earth, the nations of the world will rise up against God and against his Christ. And it won't be until after that that the enemies of God are silenced for all of eternity. We can learn a lot from this passage, from this prayer. Several things in closing. Number one, they didn't ask for fire from heaven to destroy their enemies. Think about that. There was a time when John, when he was met by opposition, asked God to rain down fire from heaven to destroy the people that were really giving him a hard time. Now, I don't know about you, but I've thought about that every now and then, but I know how it turns out. So, see, that's one of those prayers that you don't pray in ignorance. It's like, I read the passage, I know God didn't do it. So, you know, here I am dealing with this. So instead of saying, God, you know what, why don't you just take them out? Instead of that, you say, Lord, you know what, why don't you give me power to meet the opposition head on? Give me boldness to speak your truth, but to speak it in love, but not back down or not compromise. Power from heaven to preach the word of God. And notice also, and also in verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice what they're saying? Hey, give us power to proclaim your message and also give us compassion to meet the needs of people so that once their needs are met, we can tell them about Jesus. That's what they ask. The emphasis is on the hand of God at work through them, not the hand of, not the hand of work for God. Notice that? The emphasis is on the hand of God at work through them, not the hand of man at work for God. See, it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us can boast. And see, and God has prepared for us to do the work of ministry and has equipped us to do so. And it's not about us working for God. It's about God working through us. Which goes back to something I'm going to talk about in a minute. But believing prayer released God's power and enabled God's hand to move. Notice also what they wanted to do. Verse 30. They wanted to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. They wanted to bring glory to Jesus. See, the salt and light passage talks about when the world sees our good works, that they would give glory to who? Not to us, but to our Father who's in heaven. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ in everything that we do. What sums up all that we've learned in this passage is this. The glory of God, not the needs of men, is the highest purpose of answered prayer. The glory of God, not the needs of men, is the highest purpose in answered prayer. I love this too. God answered their prayer. Notice this in verse 32. And when they had prayed, the place that they gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you like that? When you pray for power to proclaim the word of God, 
God will always answer that prayer because he's called us to be witnesses for Jesus. So if you pray for power in the midst of opposition, God will always answer that prayer. If you abide in him and his word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want and it shall be given to you. God, give me the power to proclaim the name of Jesus. Hey, that'll be answered. And you notice when we proclaim the word of God and we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the world will be shaken up. I like that, man. The place they were in was shaken up. It got all, they got all shook up. Some of us haven't been shaken in a long time. Some of us need shaking right now. In fact, some of you may want to shake the person next to you and maybe just not enough. When God's people pray according to God's will and His word, God will shake up the world. In closing, do not pray for easy life. Do not pray for easy lives, wrote Phillips Brooks. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. That's the way the early Christians prayed. And that's the way God's people should pray today. Dr. R.A. Torrey said this, Pray for great things. Expect great things. Work for great things. But above all, pray. Why pray? So that we can learn the will of God and what He wants to do in our lives and through our lives so that His purposes will be accomplished not my will be done, but yours. That's what can happen when God's people pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. We just pray that we would become more aware of your truth so that when we pray, we don't pray ignorantly. God, help us to pray according to your will and according to your word. May we abide in you and your word abides in us. We know we can ask you of anything and it shall be given to us because it lines up with your word and your will. God, help us in our lives to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men can be saved. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.